No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison, and really, obviously, no excuses. It's been way too long since uh, we have taken to the airwaves, and uh, I have no excuses. Like I said, it's it's been too long, and uh, I've just been a busy man, and I've been meaning to do this, and then, of course, the... uh, the big trip to Dallas with Paramania kept me super busy, so next thing I know, uh, the show has slipped between my fingers. And I knew, as I was thinking about putting together uh, the shows when we kind of finally got it up and running again, who would I want to talk to? And uh, the first name that really sprung into my mind is the man you're going to hear from tonight, because uh, I haven't talked to him in a while. I find him wildly entertaining and interesting. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but I find his passion for all this to be just absolutely infectious and uh and his insights to be really really valuable so uh and i know he's one of the more popular guests we've had on the program one of the more unique guests who we've had on the show uh over the years that people always talk about when i was down in dallas somebody mentioned you uh william i i couldn't believe it but i could believe it because we we used to get emails all the time uh, when we couldn't find you asking when you were going to be back on the show so I'm excited to get you back again. Uh, we did eventually find William for those folks who never uh, <laughs> never got the update on all that. And he appeared on the historic 200th edition of the show. So I guess in a way it's like this kind of a weird landmark show because we've been gone for like four months for no real good reason. So, And we're starting, I should mention here at the start of the show, if anyone's just listening to this one, this is the start of a week of shows to make up for lost time. Uh, so tonight it's William Zabel, tomorrow all at the same time. Tomorrow night uh, at 10 p.m. Eastern, Greg Bishop. Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, Micah Hanks. And then wrapping it up Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern with Mike Cleland. So a star-studded week and uh, kind of to turn make up for lost time here because it's been so long. And uh, I think that's – I don't want to do too much more in-house stuff because people want to hear from William Zabel. So welcome back to the show, William Zabel, the man behind the uh, – he wasn't behind the Columbine conspiracy, but he was behind unmasking the Columbine conspiracy. That's what he's working on, of course, and so much more. William, welcome back to the show, buddy. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Nice, nice. Well, like I said, I was thinking about who I want to talk to, and I'm like, I really want to talk to somebody I haven't talked to in a while who – I haven't even talked about this kind of stuff in a while, so, you know, the perfect combination came up, and it was William Zabel, so. What, um, I'm trying to think of when the last time we talked to you. I guess let's start with 
you know, how have you been and everything? What's going on in your life? You know, what's what's the latest on William Zabel? Because it's been a couple of years since we talked, and then we'll sort of dive into some of these big uh, crazy events that you've looked at. Okay. Uh, well, you know, like I said off the air, my mother died almost two years ago. It um, it really upset the whole family. She's the second oldest daughter of four, and, you know, you have this idea that your mother's going to live forever. Her sisters thought she was going to live forever, and then uh, the COPD she had went totally off the deep end, and she ended up dying. Before my mother died two years ago, we got into a big controversy here in the town where I live, and anybody that knows me and knows how I got in the face of the cops over the Columbine shooting know that, you know, I get in the face of politicians and cops all the time, but we had a thing here. They were trying to steal my business out from underneath me. I own a car wash that I bought from an old-timer down here on Main Street, and they were trying to tell me, well, we're going to revitalize this whole street, so, you know, we're going to do the eminent domain. I said, well, you know what you can do with your eminent domain? And they're like, oh, well, you can't be that way. So I started doing some investigating, and they kept saying, well, we're bringing in Marriott, we're bringing in the Holiday Inn Express, and I'm like, Dudes, we're 20 miles from nowhere. Are you crazy? Nobody's going to drive out here from DIA to stay the night. And I started doing some digging, and finally somebody from the city council told me, she goes, Bill, this whole thing is a hoax. They're just, there's a couple people on the city council that are committing fraud. They're getting donations to revitalize Main Street so they can get these hotels in, but these hotels have already said they're not moving out there. So I brought this to the attention of the Adams County DA, and pretty soon, what do you know, I'm getting knocks at the door, y'all. We're getting complaints in the city about you. You're making threats. And I said, I'm not making threats. I went to the Adams County DA and turned all you boneheads in for corruption. And then I was like, well, that's not what the city says. So we talked for a while. And finally, the FBI got a hold of the case. Somebody from the city called the FBI, came in and found out these guys were all corrupt. They, they had no intention of putting any in a Holiday Inn or a Marriott or anything. And they got one lady. She, she's headed to jail now. It's taken like three years for this thing to go to trial. And everyone else in the city all decided that they would uh, quit and get out of town. So that was one controversy I was involved in. And then I got involved in the Sandy Hook, and the lady convinced me to come back to Connecticut and look into it. I was like, oh, my God, you people have got to be kidding me. This thing is more fake than a Hollywood movie set. Uh, it was incredible. And I have a friend at Central Casting that emails me, and he says, Bill, that guy that's talking, that Robbie guy, he's an actor. And I said, how do you know? And he goes, well, you're a fan of the TV show House. He says, look at that episode where that guy's wife kills her baby, and I looked at it, and he gave me the episode, and I'm like, are you sure? And he goes, yeah, that's him. I've talked to him. I know. He's an actor. And I'm like, oh, man. Oh, this is incredible. So I'm talking to some people, and this this guy is a county commissioner. He comes out of nowhere. He's, he's talking. He's carrying on going, you people can't be here. You're upsetting everybody in the neighborhood with all this conspiracy talking. You know, people are going... Dude, this school's been closed since before the shooting. Oh, no, it hasn't. Yes, it has. It was condemned two years ago for a best of. They can't even go in the school. Nobody can. And this guy was just going on and on. All of a sudden, I felt a presence behind me. I turned around. Here's this cop, and it's like, uh-oh, here we go. And this cop was, you know, just threatening me. Oh, you're going to go to jail. You know, you can't talk like this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Since when is criticizing the police response to a shooting and whether that shooting even happened the way you say it did or whether it even happened at all. Since when does that get a person arrested? But, oh, no, they pull in the whole Homeland Security nonsense and claim you can't talk about it. 
no, 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 you get in trouble. And then you've got this Gene character, this Gene uh, Rosenberg or Rosen or whatever his name is. And this guy, he was there, and we were wandering around the crowds trying to get information. And all this guy could talk about is, oh, the children, you got to let me have the children, the children that survive so I can talk to them, and everybody's getting creeped out. Come to find out, this this guy and most of these people in this area of Connecticut all have government connections. They all work for government at one point or another. And uh, when I got back home, there was a friend of mine that works in L.A. as a screenwriter, and she's from Connecticut, and she says, Bill, that whole area is CIA. She goes, it doesn't surprise me that they would fake a shooting there and get away with it. She goes, the whole place is a, is a company outpost. And her parents were both CIA. And she goes, yeah, she goes, everyone here in Hollywood knew it was fake the moment it happened. She goes, that, that school was in horrible shape. And she lived there in the 80s and early 90s. And she said, that, that school was about ready to be closed back then because it was in such bad shape. So, yeah, I got involved in that controversy. So, anyways, so you've been busy home. is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, My I've goodness. been getting run over. Yeah. My goodness. Anyway, all right. Well, I, it sounds like you've looked at all this stuff. So let me let me sort of start. Let's get okay. a background here a little bit on what's. Let's give me an update, the latest on this Columbine thing, because uh, you know what's interesting is the these shootings. They were kind of they did obviously happen a lot after Columbine, but it's like they seem to have really exploded like in the last three or four years, which makes the whole look back. You know, look back and people always sort of make that as the benchmark Columbine. So it's like you're you're the Columbine conspiracy maestro. Um, you know, and it's interesting that this thing has become a big thing again all of a sudden. Um, but what's yeah. the latest on that? Are we, uh, are we any closer to sort of like, uh, you know, finding the smoking gun that might that might bring some real people to justice, or is it pretty much never going to, never, ever going to? You know, I could see maybe someday like somebody who was mixed up in it saying something like way, way, way down the line, 20, 30 years, some, one of the kids or some shit. But uh, do you think we'll yeah. ever, you know, is there anything new on the horizon, you think, or is it kind of a cold case, if you will? Well, it's not a cold case, and and the Columbine kids themselves kind of talk and talk out of turn and say things they shouldn't. And one of the things that I found following the money trail of Columbine is you have no idea how, to this day, this is a multi-million dollar operation. They, these families have all started these huge charities, and these charities turn around and give money to these other shooting victims at other at other school shootings and mall shootings and things like that, where we know there's obviously other suspects. Uh, but one of the things I went back and found is I was uh, looking at some of the people that were around the Columbine students that day. They weren't students themselves, but they were, they were there at the school, around the school, had no business being there, and they would have to have known that the shooting happened was going to happen for them to be there. Take a wild guess as who one of them was. Her name is buried in the documents, but if you look closely, you'll find it. <laughs> I couldn't guess, too. Is it Dana Plato? Is this the whole Dana Plato yes. thing? Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, I talked to a, a few people down there, and I finally got a hold of uh, Daryl Scott's son. And I asked him, I said, what is, you know, what is the deal with this with uh, Dana Plato? I said, I know she was in Denver visiting Gary Coleman, but I said, was she actually there? And he says, well, I don't know if she was at the school, but she was living with us at the time. And I said, mm -hmm. what's the deal with your dad? I said, he's doing this stuff in California to 
street ministry? And he goes, oh, no. He says, not really street ministry. He goes after celebrities that have drug and alcohol problems and brings them to Colorado to clean them out. And I was like, well, okay. And I said, so she was at your house? And he says, yeah, up up until a few days after the shooting. And then she was just so freaked because her and Rachel were like sisters that, you know, she just told my dad she had to go. She had enough trouble. She just couldn't live with this, too, on top of everything else. And she went to Oklahoma, and she had a son, but the son was not with her when she was here in Denver. She uh, she got picked up the son and the ex-husband, her husband. Now, the strange thing about it is the Oklahoma authorities said he was an ex-husband, but the family in California said he was a current husband. And that was a spooky deal, the way she died, because it's like in these other uh, people that die who know or have information, uh, the person that's with them seems to delay calling 911 until they're sure they're dead. And that's what happened here. And I heard from from a woman in social services in Jefferson County, one of the kids that knew Rachel Scott said that, you know, that Rachel had told Dana about this. She goes, oh, it's going to be really a a big day on on April 20th. And and she goes, what do you mean? She goes, oh, just watch. She goes, you're going to see. And I guess that she kind of let Dana, Dana in on some of these things. Well, there were some other people who had actually seen Dana Plato at Columbine that day and and couldn't believe it. They're like, wait a minute, she looks like that chick from TV, and they're like... Now, do you mean like out. afterwards, so, like after all that, everything went down, like she came to the scene afterwards no, like to check on no, the friend and no, she was hanging out? According to the, no, according to the police report, she either dropped off Rachel at Columbine uh, about an hour before the shooting or that she was there herself an hour before the shooting, because I put it together by talking to the sheriff's uh, department, and I finally got a hold of a sheriff's deputy who was totally ticked off about what was going on. And he told me, he says, oh, no, she had either, we think she either dropped off Rachel Scott for school or that she got there just about an hour or so before it happened. And I said, well, what happened to her? And he says, all we know is what we heard from the Scott family is it was too much for her to handle. And she took off to Oklahoma to be with this husband and son of hers. And I said, what do you think she knew? And and he goes, from what we know, Rachel Scott knew a lot about what was going to happen that day. It's possible that she told her, you know, what was going to happen. Uh, as far as, like, uh, you know, some people on the Internet have said, well, Dina was probably involved. I, I don't know. I can't prove that. Uh, but it's obvious, you know, that Rachel told her a lot. Rachel told a number of people that April 20th, something big was going to happen. Uh, that's no that's no secret down there. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. I guess, like, how far can you go, though? Like, it's teeny, you know, you know, it's like how, I, I suppose the girl is culpable, but she probably feels terrible because maybe she didn't believe it or maybe she just thought it was all, t- you know what I'm saying? It's a very, it's a very oh, yeah, murky, yeah. it's a murky sort of thing, I guess. She may be haunted by this. She lived, right? Or did she die? This girl. Oh, Rachel Scott? Oh, no, Rachel Scott died. She was one of the first oh, okay. ones to get killed. Oh, jeez. Which I found, I, I, you know, I, I still think the reason she was taken out is because she knew it was going to happen. If she had lived, like she, knew she had been too forced much. to testify, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's the whole thing is creepy, then. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it, man. It's, uh... Now, do you still think it happened the day before and then went over the course of a couple of days still? Because that was still the most mind-blowing thing I heard in a long, I, long time. The, the thing about the April 19th thing is that people 
heard an explosion from the direction of Columbine. They didn't see much after that, but there were police cars in the area. Now, I will tell you that when I first began this research, one of the things that I heard that we now talk about all the time is these fake shootings, these crisis actor things. Now, at Columbine High School, they had been doing drills all through the month of March. And the teachers finally started complaining that it was getting in the way of schoolwork and that kids were having trouble getting things done when they were being interrupted with all this stuff. So supposedly they quit doing the drills because of that. And now several students I talked to said the reason why they didn't get up out of their desks when they first heard people screaming there's gunmen in the building is because they thought it was a drill again. And they just sat there. They didn't do anything until finally teachers ran in and said, this is real. You've got to get out of here. What kind of drills were they doing? Uh, active shooter drills, part of the FBI's program that they've had in place since 1992. I hate to be that guy, but, like, where, where are you getting that information from? Because I would like to – that sounds almost too – that sounds like it would – How sounds like something that more people should know. Because I've never heard they were doing these that, drills yeah, of a shooter shooting them up, and then that happens. Yeah, and the um, the news footage, um, and I, I can send the news footage to anybody that wants it. I've got it as a small uh, MPEG file, MP4. Uh, you can even play it on, like, your iPod or whatever. Uh, you've got uh, Steve Davis of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department speaking about these drills in March, saying that the reason more people didn't get killed is because the students were prepared because of the drills they'd been doing at Columbine. Yeah, that's right there on the news. Oh, maybe. Oh. All right. Well, yeah, it's weird. That's certainly weird. Um, yeah. You know. All right. But do you think we're ever going to, like, I guess to get back to the original question, do you think we'll ever, like, really know what exactly happened, or is it just going to kind of uh, be always subject to, like, different scenarios and shit? Well, it, you know, they, they, there's always going to be that where people are going to come up with different scenarios, but I proved a number of people who were actually doing the shooting. I proved that Thomas Klebold was in there doing the shooting. You know, I proved that. I got the, I got the news footage. And many people have identified him as Dylan Klebold's dad. But he's an FBI agent. He's not a geologist. I went and checked. I went to the office where he worked, and people are like, we've heard the people talk about him working here, but we don't know who he is. And, and he's, he has said several different things, that he worked out of his home as a consultant for an architectural firm, but he's never given the name. And the fact is, he's right there on the news, dressed as an FBI agent, coming off the property in a green minivan, a green minivan that many people throughout the neighborhood saw the night before and that morning. They saw this green minivan with these men dressed in black, and they didn't know who it was or what it was about. Yeah, this is, this is an FBI operation. This was, this was an assassination. And, okay, you know, somebody just posted a really good question that I never would have thought of to ask you, so let me make sure I get this in, because uh, it, it okay. did uh, really make me think, and I'm sure when I saw it, I thought about you. Uh, what, what do you make of this whole thing with Sue Klebold writing a book, and she's doing all these interviews and stuff all of a sudden? Oh, she's uh, – this – you have to know the Columbine families like I do. This is all about money. That's all it's about. They're just yeah. – they're making money. They're making money. And that's all Susan's trying to do is is make money. She sees an opportunity to make money, and she's going to do it. Lots of book publishers want Columbine families uh, to write books about what happened because it's a hot topic, and they can sell it, and that's what it's yeah. about. 
Well, so that makes sense in a sense, you know. It's a, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I haven't seen the interviews, so I can't really say for sure uh, one way or the other what her deal is. So, now somebody yeah. mentioned this. I this may actually be true. Somebody on the Facebook mentioned this uh, recently. It seems like it seems like maybe you were the guy. You see a lot of this stuff about the crisis actors, but. I feel like the first time I ever heard about it was from you, and it was a longer time ago than it became really popular all of a sudden. I think maybe you might have had a hand in popularizing this idea or getting it out there because it's everywhere now. Mm-hmm. So kudos. Oh, I, I know. Saying. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I know the I know the two guys that created Crisis Actors. They were my former acting coaches from Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, well, what do you? What do you make of it, though? It seems kind of like it's pretty. It's getting. It's getting more well known. It's interesting yeah. that it's. It's really quite widespread. Uh, people sort of connecting these faces and things. I don't know necessarily, Bill. I don't think you can convince me. So don't, you don't have to. But I'm very skeptical about the crisis actors. But I find the whole thing interesting in a sense that uh, it's gotten so big. Okay. okay. Well, let me explain this from a military intelligence. N- perspective that my cousin gave me. He was in Air Force Intelligence for 22 years, and he says, when we need to do an operation in a foreign country and get to a target, we need to distract that target with a fake event. He says, usually we will create like a a sniper situation where the person is busy uh, trying to engage a sniper who's not even really trying to hit them. And what that does is it drags all the bad guys out to try and engage that one sniper, and when they do, we take them out. And he told me, when I told him about crisis actors, he says it's the same scenario. They're using crisis actors to draw people's attention away from what they are really trying to do. He says, Bill, in every one of these school shootings, he says, go look at the documents. There was somebody important in that school, a child of some type of foreign exchange student, who, who goes back to like a foreign uh, ambassador or to a politician at Columbine. There was at least three kids who are not accounted for that are foreign exchange students out of Europe. He says it's the same way in some of these shopping mall shootings that some of the people that die are very important and controversial people. But he says you never hear about them, and then all of a sudden afterwards, oh, Joe Smith or Gene Smith was at the mall too, and then you never hear any more about them, but they're not officially listed as casualties. He says they're using these crisis actors to cover for their assassinations. So if anybody digs too deep, they'll just say, oh, well, this is just a drill. Nobody died there. And that's what my cousin thinks. I defer to him because he, he's former intel. So they have these shootings, and in, in order to create a cover to kill someone who's also there, is what you're saying? Yes. Important, someone who's important that's also there. And then afterwards, yeah. though, the the important person isn't included amongst the dead. Amongst the, or amongst the dead. Yep. yep. That seems like a really elaborate part- thing to, to – so wait a minute. So the people who – the people who are – what are the people who, who are the victims of the – outside from obviously the one that dies? Like what is – so what is the family of the people well, – all right, I'm sorry. I got to really like – let me restart this question. Okay, okay. So yeah. there's they, – they set up the shooting, the fake shooting. They, they assassinate somebody, uh, you know, surreptitiously. But what is the reaction of the people who had their relative surreptitiously killed? 
Like, they don't, like, react. What, was, this, was this all, like, on some upper echelon level of, like, super rich elites? So they're like, don't even get the authorities involved. Uh, you know, they killed Toby at the school. Yeah. Well, here's a personal situation that I was involved in where a person was supposedly killed, and I found out later they weren't, but a person that we had known was killed. And the, what they do with these crisis actor drills is these are all Pentagon Homeland Security operations. This isn't the local cops running these shows. This is the feds. Everybody that's involved in crisis actors signs a security oath saying that they will never discuss this at all, period, that there was never be any discussion that these shootings are fake. Now, in the case of the real vic- uh, victims, in those cases like what I dealt with in my own personal life, we were all told, keep your mouth shut. And, you know, now after all these years, it, it doesn't matter, but this person that was killed, I was only briefly acquainted with. I didn't even know her that well. But she was taken out because her parents were involved in all this Pentagon and Wall Street stuff and money laundering and things like that. And we were shocked. We had we had no idea anything even happened to her. We saw this, you know, this other person get killed, and the cops said, "Oh yeah, he was assassinated because somebody was mad. They lost, you know, he lost their pension money and all that." And we're like, "Oh, that's horrible." And then pretty soon it's like. Well, where's so and so? And it's like, wait a minute, she was supposed to be here too. And then we hear later from the parents, shut up, don't talk about it. You know, she may have been killed, we don't know. And we were told to be quiet about it. And it, it it's shocking when you're told. What do you mean? You what? Know, I'm, wait a minute. I, I hate to intrude now. It sounds like a personal story. Yeah. What do you mean? So she's, what do you mean? She may have been killed. She may have been what? Kidnapped? Imprisoned? Well, I'm confused. The, the thing is, is that is that she was with this guy at a bar in New York. There, the person was in an empty hotel room that wasn't even supposed to be rented out across the street. This person fired through, hit him. It was late at night. There were few people there. Supposedly, she ran out the back door to get away from whoever was shooting. Well, when her, we were discussing this whole situation, because this is a guy, you know, that everybody knew, we're like, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, it doesn't so-and-so frequent that bar? Maybe she saw something. And I called her parents. I said, was, you know, so-and-so at the bar? And they're like, we don't know. We were, we, we were told that he was the only victim. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard from her in months. I said, her Facebook page is pretty much dead. And they're, they're like, we can't talk about it, and you don't talk about it either. And then the cops call me, and they're questioning me. They go, well, do you know this guy? And I said, no, I just heard about him. And they said, well, we heard you were asking about so-and-so. I'm like, well, she frequents that bar. I said, we're worried about her. Nobody's heard from her. I said, what, what's going on? He says, well, we do have an, un, an unknown female um, that is uh, deceased, but nobody's identified her. And I said, well, maybe I ought to call you know, these parents and, and go, oh, well, you know, we'll get to that. And I got really spooked. This is not the first time that I've dealt with dead people close to me that nobody wanted to explain. And I'm like, I called them back and they said, Bill, just please, you know, you've got enough trouble with the things you're involved in. I said, but what if it's her, this unknown victim? And they go, please don't come to New York. Just please stay home. We'll we'll deal with it. And then that's the last I ever heard from it. And I think that this is how they're doing these shootings. They're, they're, they've got a specific target, but these people, whoever they are, they must not be able to get to them when they're driving down a country road or walking their 
dog on a bike path. They must be. They must have to do this publicly to cover their tracks, whatever they're doing, whatever they're, how they're killing people. Because the way many of these people that die under contra- controversial circumstances, they're all killed in public. You know, I mean, look, look at all the people that have been killed throughout the years. So let's start with JFK and come forward. You know, if you really want to kill somebody and you don't want anyone to know you did it, why do it in front of the whole world? Well, what's that old story? You know, it, you the best way to do things is in public. I mean, a lot of guys have written books that were in the CIA military intelligence. They said all that covert crap that don't work. You're gonna if you're gonna take somebody out, you humongous story that the whole world will believe, and you let it go at that, and then. If they come back and, and say the story's not true, you you what did Bill Clinton say? Delay, deny, discredit, destroy. And that's yeah. what the government does. And I it's think that's crazy. what they've done here. Yeah. That, that's uh All right, so where do you think give me like a hit list, no pun intended, of the what are cuz I think one of the big criticisms and I've had it myself is that the like everything is one of these things. Everything is like a false flag. It's like what? Where do you draw the line? What's what's your what's your sort of like? How many? What what, what major events that we know of? Do you think are are staged events rather than actually you know occurring on quasi naturally? Let's say. Well, I I I think that you hear about some of these uh, shootings. Like a, a friend told me about one at McDonald's in '86, and it was a big thing up there in uh, Northern California. Yet everyone was coming out of the out of the McDonald's laughing their head off and they had blood all over them. That was obviously fake. And that was back in the '80s. Um, the other one, obviously, was Sandy Hook. And I and I think the way you know is to look at the way the so-called victims and witnesses react. This, you know, laughing during interviews and things like that. I mean, somebody might be so totally in shock, they may start crying and then just laugh, you know, just as a way to release themselves. But when witness after witness keeps coming out and laughing and carrying on, like at Sandy Hook with that Robbie guy, and you know, and, and admitting, oh, I'm up next, oh, you know. And well, you yeah, have, I don't know, though, I mean... All right, go on, go on. Yeah, and so I think that uh, like the like the shooting here in Denver at the Batman shooting, that yeah. thing didn't make sense. If any, if if there was any kind of shooting going on, it happened in the reverse that they say it happened. It seems to me like from the blood, the drag marks of blood outside, it seems to me like somebody was shot outside and then drug into the theater. But I didn't like the news footage of some of those kids coming out high-fiving each other that were covered in blood. If you saw the news footage, I, I was like... No, I didn't see that. You, you see a lot... <laughs> i got to look more closely because you're seeing a lot of celebrating people, which I've never yeah. heard of before. So I guess that's yeah. why I'm sort of skeptical in a sense. What, now, what is... Yeah. Well, what's your take on this Colorado thing, the shooting in the in the theater? Now, you you kind of just laid it out a little bit, but get deeper with with me on it because uh, I um, find it very perplexing. And I I tried to follow the trial, but there really wasn't anything in it that I thought was too illuminating. No pun intended. So no, no. They, what's, they, they what do you think really the, went kept, down there? Uh, I I think that it was definitely staged. Um, I I. There, there was too many people there that were at other shootings. They had the one girl that died there that was at the Clackamas Mall shooting. 
and but she popped up. She had a uh, an instant message on Twitter that popped up two hours after the Batman shooting, and she was had a picture of herself on the beach. And they admitted her account hadn't been hacked. So how was she given a tweet two hours after the shooting if she was dead? Um, James Holmes, uh, I mean, you talk about a guy who was created. If he's a real shooter, he's a man-turing candidate. There's no doubt. Um, but I will also tell you that lawyer of his, there's no way that chick is, is for real. Uh, that that chick, she may have a law degree, but she's a crisis actor because you see that same girl at Sandy Hook. Well, that's the other thing that people have a problem with, in a sense, because it's like, why, if the government's going to go through all this trouble of, like, I can see one thing if they did it on a small scale, but, like, when these things blow up and become national news, like, if this is such a sophisticated Mm -hmm. operation, why would they be using the same people? Because they probably think the American public is too stupid, and for the most part, they are. There's only a few of us, Kim, that actually recognize this stuff. Ninety, probably 99% of Americans are still going, oh, you conspiracy nuts are crazy. I don't think they care if a few of us know. It's if all of a sudden the American public would wake up in mass that they know they'd have troubles. But, you know, it, it, it's like they say all the time, you know, if it worked once, it'll work twice, you know. Yeah. And if it worked twice, it'll work three times. And I, I think they're just that arrogant. And any psychologist will tell you that somebody that's involved in a criminal crime spree and is arrogant is going to begin tripping over themselves. And and the government's not perfect. They may have high technology, but they're still human beings and they're still arrogant. They're still greedy and they're still corrupt. And they're going to do stuff that is going to get exposed. And it's getting exposed every day. It sure seems that way. That's why I mentioned it uh, earlier, how it's blowing up. But let's get back to uh, James Holmes and all this this madness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even, yeah, the whole thing was really weird. I don't get what, I think if there are staged events, they're like, uh, there's supposed to, there's some kind of message behind them, in a sense, more than the, more than what you're saying about assassinations. Maybe there's two different kinds, you know what I mean? Maybe there's two different well, kinds. Well, and I, and, and I think, too, that there is more than one purpose for these shootings. I don't think they, I mean, I think they go to get their, you know, the full thing out of them. I don't think it's just one thing. Um, I do think there's assassinations, but I think there's there is probably actually more to it. They do they, the government does send messages. There are a lot of there's a lot of symbology in the media, uh, in events that happen. There definitely a lot of symbology. You know, people are sending messages. I think there's people they want dead, and that's the way they do these shootings. But I think it's a, a sending a message out. And you know, I worked in Hollywood enough to know. You know, when you get these celebrities that up and croaked for no reason at all and, you know, they were going to come out and talk about what goes on in Hollywood and stuff, uh, you know, and then their death is marked by all this symbology, numerology and things, that's not coincidental. I think think you're right. I think it's more than just assassinations. I kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, uh, but even I, but you know, even I have to look further beyond that. And and there was symbology in Columbine, the whole 420 thing, uh, symbology in a lot of these shootings. They're definitely sending a message along with getting their job done. You know, whether they're assassinating one person or whether they take out ten people. You know. Yeah, I'd like to see you look at that, see what you can come up with there. But uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, this James Holmes. So you think uh, it certainly. So you think it may be like they, they somehow maneuvered him into the into the place and then shot a bunch of people and left him there or dragged him back out or something, you know what I'm saying? It's 
it's oh, very yeah. well, he uh, kind was, of yeah, could, was, I guess, happen was, in a sense. Yeah, I think that he was definitely uh, a patsy. Pat I think they just put yeah. him in place and, and said, well, you know, here's your Lee Harvey Oswald. Here you go. He was too wasted to have done any kind of a shooting, you know. When the cops yeah, found him, like he, he was fairly conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one thing I was interested in. What kind of information did they say in the trial, if you followed it at all, about like sort of what kind of condition he was in, like all drugged out and shit? Yeah, they said that he was incoherent. Uh, he he didn't really know where he was at, uh, couldn't speak very well. And I'll tell you, it takes a lot of effort for a person to use a weapon, even when they're sober, and to get continual hits like he was supposedly doing. Um, the Marines will tell you the, av- the average hit, when you, go to, when you go to kill a bunch of people, uh, most of your shots are going to miss unless you're right up close and personal. And even then, uh, even with a semi-automatic weapon, you're going to miss more than half the time. But these shooters like James Holm, Harrison Klebold, all these others, they get nearly a 100% uh, kill ratio, which the Marines say is completely impossible. Yeah. Well, I presume they are. Well, I don't know. I'd have to look at that kind of information, but it sounds interesting. Yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? They talk a lot about these people, though. They do do a lot of shoot. Didn't he try to get into a gun, a shooting range, and and shit? So I assume if he couldn't get into the shooting range, maybe. uh, Yeah, that was a a dumb thing. I think he's. This was another anti gun thing. He was trying to get into the shooting range out there in Aurora. And just, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, when he shot that target and said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought that was JFK I was shooting at. I think it was the same thing here. They were they were pulling the same Lee Harvey Oswald crap all over yeah, again. Yeah, just to make and sure that he got in, seen into that shooting there. range. But he had absolutely no experience with guns at all. He, 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 knew, he really knew nothing about them. And that's what yeah. bothers me. I mean, it's one thing you've got some guy that comes out of Iraq or Afghanistan after three tours of duty and he gets mad and goes off and takes out his wife from 50 feet away and three neighbors, that's one thing. You can be sure there's no conspiracy there, just a guy who lost it. But you get a guy who's never used a gun before, you know, and never has had any violent tendencies and all of a sudden he comes out of the woodwork and is blasting away at people. That, you know, that just, that doesn't make sense from any point of view. Any cop that investigates uh, a husband that batters his wife or a, a, a juvenile delinquent who's involved in gangs will tell you that there is evidence going back years that the person was going to snap. You know, he talked about hurting people, things like that, or he did or whatever. But in a case yeah. like this, these guys come out of nowhere. It's like they're manufactured. They have no previous violent history. They have nothing. Yeah. Well, there's an argument to be made, though, too, that the – that they're really the more they sensationalize these things too, it's creating more of them naturally, more or like in yeah. the, in the subconsciousness. You know what I mean? The copycat effect. Yeah. Lauren Coleman. Oh yeah, and says, I, and it could know. be what they it could be what they want. They they could be trying to create real killers, people that you know got bullied in high school or you know somebody that's you know. Uh, ready to go off because of a bad marriage or or whatever, and it could be that 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 these are are triggers. Now I will tell you, uh, years ago I asked for through a FOIA 
uh, on an operation called Operation Open Eyes with the CIA. And I got absolutely nothing back. There was like 3,500 pages, and they wouldn't give me a page of it. But it's alleged by former CIA agents to be the operation that creates these shooters is Operation Open Eyes. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create they create these Manchurian candidates, and then they send them out to do their job, and then what they hope for is that it will cause a trigger response in somebody else to do the same thing. And that's well, what they're it certainly seems for. to be the case that's happening with these shootings, because they make them... You can kind of tell, too, because they these crazy people get more and more outlandish. <laughs> oh, you yeah. know, it was like the James oh, yeah. Holmes thing, and now they're, like, making these, like, lunatic manifestos and shit, which is even more like... What what's that all about? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they shouldn't even, you know, they need to change the way this is presented in a sense in the news. You know, they need to like not not sensationalize these people that do this shit. But seems yeah. like they do a lot too much. Well, uh, you know, there's an old saying. I I used to take uh, uh, classes on. Uh, mass media and, and news gathering and there's an old saying if it bleeds it leads oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah well you know nope. there's plenty of bleeding going on oh it's yeah scary well what do you think uh what do you make of this um this election that's going on i figure you might have a, a <laughs> your finger on the pulse of this kind of thing you seem like you're uh concerned about the future of america yeah i mean uh I don't know which is worse, uh, watching uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians or watching Keeping Up with the Politicians. This is such a fraud. I mean, come on. Does anybody take any of this stuff seriously? We already know who the next president's going to be. I'll bet you any amount of money it's Hillary. You've got to remember, the elections are all fraud. They're all staged. They yeah. decide well, years seems... ahead of time who the president's going to be. You know, even people in Congress have admitted this, you know, that, well, you know, it doesn't matter who you vote for. We've already decided who's going to get in. I mean, that these you got to remember, this country is not run by the American public. It's not run by your politician uh, at the local level, at the state level, or at the federal level. It's run by the man who has the money. What's, what's that old rule? You know, they say, you know, he who uh, pays the piper the gold the makes tune. I was going to yeah. say, who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah, it's a golden who has the rule. gold in this country? Yeah. You gotta understand well, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you there. I, don't, <laughs> I yeah. just find it interesting that, like, this reality show guy is, like, winning the, uh, winning half the election so far. It's it's pretty, uh, you yeah. talk about a staged a staged reality for people. It's like, what what is going on here, man? This is unbelievable. Well, what they're doing is they're giving everyone false hope. The, the elite know the Americans are about to to go off the deep end and you know and start shooting people in mass. They know that. They know that there's about near riots in this country, and so they got to quell the disturbance. And the best way to do that is to is to roll out Trump. Oh, I'm gonna build a a uh, 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 a wall on the border. Excuse me. Doesn't Trump casinos uh, employ happy legal aliens? You know, didn't didn't his casinos get years ago for that? Yeah, right. You know, uh, did you ever see the photo? I mean, he talks about all oh, I'll make sure those child molesters never get out of prison. Really? Does that also mean Trump? Did you see the photo on his own website where he's got his hand on his daughter's own behind? <laughs> I did. I I did see that photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know uh, this this guy this guy is saying what everyone wants to hear. 
and he is a Trojan horse, okay? He's being pushed up to the gate, and the Americans are opening the gate and saying, come on in, you're the man, you're the man. And what's going to happen? If anything happens at all, they'll probably take him out, you know? He's he's a stage ploy, but, you know, it wouldn't be the first time the elite took out one of their own. And he's yeah, part of the elite. Yeah. He's a billionaire. Remember, he's a billionaire. He, 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 he has no more in common with you and me than Mickey Mouse. He doesn't have anything in common with me or you yeah. or anyone else. He's a billionaire. That's true. You think, he got a, you think he got to be a billionaire by being a nice, honest businessman? Hey, I'm a nice, honest businessman, and I'm not even a millionaire. By the time I get done paying all my uh, business Yeah, and they try expenses, to take away your car wash. Yeah, yeah. And I have enough to pay rent and buy groceries and pay car insurance. And maybe if I'm lucky, you know, buy one of my computer magazines and pretty much don't have much money left after that. So, you know, for this, for everyone to say, well, he's a, a great, honest businessman, go ask yourself how men become billionaires in the first place. It's not by playing fair. Yeah, exactly. Well, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how it shakes out, that's for sure. Yeah. That's for I sure. Now, Tommy... be Hillary. What's that? Remember, Hillary is a Rothschild. Remember that. Okay. I believe yeah. that. Yeah. Her well, middle he's... name, that, that supposed last name she has, Rodham, go look it up and see where it cross-references to in Ancestry.com, Rothschild. She's a Rothschild. Bill Clinton is a Rockefeller. That's well-known in Washington, D.C. circles, well-known. Nobody gets in that White House that is not either a Rockefeller or a Rothschild. It's that simple. Um, now, talk about this Virginia Tech thing, because uh, you, you've mentioned it a few times, and I think we talked about it back in the day, but we didn't really dig as much yeah. into it, and I feel like maybe you've dug more into it. What's what's this? Because that's kind of one of the more forgotten ones of uh, of all this. So uh, what, right. what's your take on that? Well, in Virginia Tech, uh, for people that don't know, uh, if you remember right, and many people might not remember this, the doors to that building where the classes were being held, where there was a shooting, all the doors were chained and padlocked from the outside so no one could get out. How did Cho do that if he acted by himself? That's the big one. That's the big, big one. But here's another one. Now, you pr- I've probably mentioned this on your show before, but if I haven't, I apologize. There were two students at Virginia Tech whose statements are completely withheld at Columbine, okay? A boy and a girl who were boyfriend and girl, both late for class that day because his girlfriend lost the keys to her car, and they were late getting to class, and by the time they got there, the cops already had the building surrounded, and they would have been in the classroom where the shooting took place, where Cho shot it up. And they were and Columbine they were, students who were, yeah, They were in Columbine were that day originally? Weird. Yep. Yep. Well, whoever's trying to assassinate those two is doing a lousy job because they've missed twice now. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. what's the what's the background on these people? Are they like uh, are they part of some kind of like British, you know, European elite, or are they just two random people? Well, and that's the that's the thing you're going to find about uh, the Columbine families and Columbine kids and you'll find this about Cho and his sister. Cho and his sister were both part of the defense industry. His his sister worked for Marconi. And anybody who knows anything about Marconi knows 
you don't work for that company if you're a nobody. Even if you've got a college degree from MIT, you don't go to work there unless your family's somebody. So yeah. there was something big there. Now, with the Columbine families, I have found that all of these families, their parents are either either the mother or the father or both was in military intelligence. And I found out from a guy who lives in Montana that works for the U.S. Marshal's office that Columbine is what's known as, quote, a safe community, unquote. When I asked him what that meant, he said these are communities where former members of military intelligence go to live together to where they can live with people they can trust. Right, like now, what this protection is a good almost. One. Yeah, like, like the WITSEC program. Now, the one parent who is down there whose son saw four suspects he now lives up here in Brighton, where I live, and when I saw him one day, I said, you look familiar. I said, uh, you're from the Columbine area, and he denied it. Oh, no, I've never lived there. I don't know anybody there and, and all this. Well, I put – he's a Facebook friend of mine, so I put the video up, and I said, go look at this on YouTube. I said, take a look at the link and go to YouTube. He came back, and he goes, where did you get that? And I said, oh, I got all the news footage. I said, I know people in the in the news business. Well, that's not me. And I said, really? I said, I looked up your name, and you're the only one in that age category, and you lived in that community. Oh, God, he just he went on a hate fest after that. He's telling people in Brighton, oh, that guy's some, like, Fox Mulder X-Files type guy. He's crazy. Don't go to his business and all this. And I'm like, yeah, just keep talking. And he admitted to me one day that he was uh, a Navy SEAL and that he was involved in that thing down in Panama. And I said, wow, that's really strange, because I was in Panama in 89 in December, too. I said, uh, from what I heard from local newscasters, you guys were riding around in cars dressed as civilians shooting at Panamanian police. Oh, that never happened. I said, I was there. I said, you admit you were there. And I said, that's what Navy SEALs were doing. Oh, I'm public enemy number one in this town where I live now. I still have a lot of friends here, and I even have friends that are cops, but some people look at me like, oh, there's that spooky guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Bill, you've got to be careful, man. I'm surprised you haven't gotten, like, punched yet, at least, at the very least, punched. People are uh, angry, I, you know? They, get, they don't like their yeah. beliefs challenged. Yeah, well, I, I've been stalked. There's no doubt that I've been followed, and I had the instant... Uh, one night I was on a radio program talking about Columbine and Virginia Tech, and there was a knock at the door, and the guy says, well, we're on commercial break. He says, you can go ahead and, and go answer the door, and I went answer the door, and this guy says, do you have a helicopter? And I said, yeah, it's flight to life. And he goes, no, dude, you got to come out. Look, it's hovering right above our building. He says, you got to see this. And we went out there, and there's these, like, FBI or SWAT guys, and they're looking right down at my bedroom window where I where I do the radio show when I'm on radio shows. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And they saw me, and then they took off. And then a couple of nights later, I was coming back from Denver, and this helicopter is following me all the way to Brighton. I'm like, well, it's got to be flight to life again because I'm right in the path of the hospital. And they followed me all the way to the apartment complex and then kept going north. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you know. If they silenced you now, it would be detrimental to their cause because you said so much yeah. that it would, it would, you know. Oh, yeah. But you got to be careful out there. There's a lot of uh, a lot of crazy people out there. What do you think? Well, part of the argument, in a sense, that I, I hear too is the people say that these these shootings are to take away the guns and shit. But it's like it must be a very slow process because if they didn't take away the guns after the that kid shot up the school, then you know I can't. Uh, 
I can't see what the hell is going to do it. You know what I'm saying? So I know they they hammer the gun control thing a lot on on you know in the politics and the election and shit. But I, I, yeah. we'll see what happens. But do you really think they're going to try and take away guns? Because it, it seems kind of like uh, they've prepared people too much for them to try at this point. If they had swooped in yeah. earlier, like it, like after Kennedy was shot and did it, they'd probably be able to get away with it. But uh, nowadays, it's like way more people. It's it's you know it's crazy. Yeah. I think there's something bigger going on here. I, I don't think it's the gun issue because after Columbine, they talked gun control, and a year later, they passed the concealed weapons bill, even though at the time, you know, Bill Owens was the governor. He said, oh, I'm shelving the concealed weapons bill. I'm not even going to sign it. Congress will have to forget it. I'm not going to do it. And then a year later, he went ahead and signed it anyways because he got so much backlash that he finally had to sign it. Now everyone's carrying here in Colorado. Everybody is. I don't think you could put a pull another shooting off here if you wanted to. I I think that the Batman theater shooting really here in Colorado because after that Batman shooting, the uh, concealed weapons permits went through the roof. After that, I can imagine. And, well, what's with all the shootings yeah, so over there in Colorado? I think they're too. having the like opposite effect of what they want. You know. Yeah. Is that why they legalized marijuana in Colorado to try and mellow everybody out and quit shooting everybody? No, I think that's about money. There's, You know what they've done is they've brought in, now you, you can't grow your own marijuana and then sell it in your shop. You've got to buy it from, quote, official sources. And now Monsanto's in the business of growing marijuana, so you can imagine what kind of chemicals are in it. So I think I think that's all, that's all money because everybody's making money. They have a pot shop here in Colorado. You've got to pay mega fees and everything, and you've got to be inspected and all that. I, I I think it's just money. Yeah, maybe it's a pilot program for a national rollout. You know? Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe they'll do that to mellow the country out so they stop uh, getting so upset about shit. But who knows? It's very uh, yeah. intense. It makes you wonder, too, like I was saying, why don't they take away the guns? If there's something bigger going on here, maybe it's like... Maybe it's like the whole debate's being manufactured, so they try to take away the guns, and that causes all this chaos for someone who wants chaos to happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like they, yeah. you know, there's two sides here where the government's like, we're going to take away the guns. We have to now. And, and, uh, you know, obviously there's a huge revolution and riots, chaos and all that. It's like, that's what they really want. Not, not to take They don't want to actually take away the guns. They just want to cause this huge conflagration. But that's a, well, you know, I, I mean, get conspiratorial when I talk to you, Bill, that's what happens. I know. But you look at the UN map of what they want the U S to look like by 2020. Very few habitable areas. So I think the intent is to get everyone going at each other's throat and then just have the government roll down Main Street USA and say, oh, look at you guys. You're all armed and shooting at each other. That's it. You're done. And I, I think it's part of a, the depopulation policy that uh, Kissinger and Haig uh, made clear back in the early 70s. For anybody that's ever read that, and that thing is huge. It's like 12,000 pages. That is like the most horrible document I've ever read was the depopulation policy of 1972. Yeah. Why? What's? Tell me about it. Tell us about it, because I well, guarantee you that like 99% of the listeners haven't read that policy, so let's hear okay. it. Okay. Um, you can get that at any uh, big city library that has a government section. Uh, you can look it up in the index, and it's called the Hague-Kissinger Depopulation Policy of 1972, the White House. It was done as a White House briefing document. And Hagen Kissinger talked about how they would depopulate the world 
and this was gathered from documents uh, that they had. Oh, people that spoke about depopulation before them, they included their documents in their policy and said, well, this is the way to go, like in other countries, like in, in Russia and in, in Soviet Union, how they just lined people up and shot them. And they said, well, that's, that's just too gruesome. The people will never accept that. The American public will revolt if we just start killing people. So they came up with this thing about drugs. They would encourage drugs while at the same time uh, criticizing them and making laws against them. Uh, they said that they would promote planned parenthood over uh, families and that they would encourage women to get abortions. Uh, in the depopulation policy, uh, they spoke about the chemicals that could be used in foods and, and sprayed through the air uh, that would cause people to have heart attacks and strokes. I mean, it, it's 12,000 pages of just morbidity. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's all on microfilm. You'd have to print it out, and it, it cost me like thirty bucks to print it out. But it's just oh, horrible. But yeah, most people probably have never even heard about it. Yeah, no, I've never heard about it. It's creepy, it's yeah. spooky, you know. And but they also, talked about uh, and, yeah, and this document, and this document is one of the things that AIDS researchers use to prove that they created AIDS on purpose to kill black people in Africa because they talked about in there there was an army briefing document that they used in this document. And in this army briefing document from Fort Detrick, Maryland, it said in 10 years, and this document was uh, written in the uh, early 60s by the army uh, pathology department, and it said in 5 to 10 years it will be possible to create a disease that will be transmitted sexually that there is no known cure for. And they talked about the morbidity rate in this at being close to somewhere 60%. Well, Jeez. where did AIDS start? In Africa, which is where Haig and Kissinger spoke about starting these depopulation uh, programs was in Africa. And the Merck Pharmaceuticals, and my cousin uh, worked for Merck. He just retired. He was He was like a kind of in a business partnership with him. He was their lead scientist for years. And even he became suspicious that many of their programs coming out of Africa were actually depopulation programs because he said many of their drugs weren't doing anything at all but killing people. And Merck Pharmaceuticals had three facilities. One of them shut down. Two of them are owned by other companies now. And in these areas is where AIDS started, was in these areas. All that crap about, well, black men were having sex with monkeys and that. That was just horrible, racist rants. Everybody yeah, knows yeah. that wasn't true. I have a friend who's a nurse with Doctors Without Borders, and she's worked in Africa for years, and she says that is a disgusting lie put forth by the U.S. government. Yeah, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. I don't think anyone actually believes it, so you can be happy about that. Yeah. we got to spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? It's illuminating things you're telling us tonight, you know? It's illuminating stuff. I don't, you know, I, I need to look more into the conspiracy realm, really, to uh, to dig more into it. So what do you do? So you think the government, though, they see that these people are noticing these... Uh, they're noticing these doppelgangers, for lack of a better term, the crisis actors in these videos. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think they're getting nervous that people are picking up on it, or do you think they don't care, or do you think they're going to change tactics, or what? 
Uh, I think that the government is starting to pick up on it. At first, they dismissed it. Uh, you know, like the crisis actors, like I said, that was created by my former acting coaches from Hollywood. They had, they admitted that the leader of this uh, crisis actors of this uh, or this acting studio that I was at, they followed me back from Hollywood when I lived out there for two years and came back. The guy who runs it, his mom and dad were the original producers of the TV show Cops. And when they originally did Cops starting in the 80s, they got sued by defendants who were arrested on camera saying, you're violating our rights by broadcasting this on TV. So they had to quit showing the show live. And people don't realize from about 89 onward, that's all actors. That's all fake. That's not real. Because they can't, they can't do it anymore. This case really? went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled you cannot show a defendant's face on camera like that unless they give permission, and none of them have given permit, permission. Well, it's very intriguing stuff. It's very intriguing stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it makes you wonder what the end game, though, is in all this. How come you think that these shootings have died down? Because they want. I heard a theory that they're just sort of like. Uh, they want people thinking and talking about the election, and once the once it kind of starts getting close to sort of winding down, as far as we know, it's going to be Trump and Hillary almost, almost definitely. But yeah. uh, you know, then all of a sudden you have one, you're going to have one of these crazy shootings, like within you know a month or something like that. Uh, once it, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd say like before the beginning of the summer, once it's kind of that's my fear yeah. or uh, or I don't know feeling. It's like it seems kind of it's sort of like percolating, if you will. Yeah, I think, think that they've got to keep the shootings out, out of the way because I, I think it causes too much controversy and they want everyone focused on the election because they need they they need Hillary. E- even if Trump was a completely independent person, which I don't think he is, if he got in, there would, there would be so much trouble. The, the elite would lose control over this country, but I don't think it matters. I think... Hillary is the one. I think she'll get in. I, I don't because I think the elections are fixed. But I don't think they can afford to do a shooting right now. There's just too many That's people questioning mean. Yeah, these shootings. That. Yeah, there's just too many people going. Wait a minute. Hold on. What you know? What is all this stuff? And I think that they have to be careful. They have to keep people focused on the elections at this point. They want you focused on all this controversy and. Hillary in her emails and Trump with his anti-immigrant status, they've got to keep you in that fold there because anything that drags you away from that, you know, they're going to lose currency. They've got to, they've got to keep you going on that. Oh, okay. Now, this is I, – I, I remember now I wanted to ask you about this, too, because uh, these shootings uh, – that now they've morphed also into these ISIS shootings. So what do you take? Is this essentially just the same – Play playbook, but do you think different uh, patsies? Yeah, well, you know, in these in the case of these ISIS guys, that's all that's all CIA and Pentagon. Those are all white guys. Those aren't even Muslims. Take a look at when they when they talk when they're off camera. They start talking English and they speak perfect English. Muslims from Muslim countries don't speak perfect English without an accent. But they've caught these guys when the camera turns away. They start speaking English. Too. These guys are all white guys. These are not Muslims. Look at them. But these guys are like, you know, vanilla white, like vanilla ice. I mean, they're they're not Muslims. This is all created by the Pentagon and the CIA. All this ISIS thing is. It's it's it's, it's a CIA wet dream. That's what it is. 
What's the end game, though, to go to go to Syria and the Middle East again and try and get this war going again? Oh, yeah, I know what Syria is all about. When I was in Tel Aviv, Israel, years ago, back in the 90s, I saw the map where they were going to make Syria a suburb of Israel. That's, that's going to be a suburb. They've already got uh, American Jews buying land in Syria that they can't belong to Israel. But Israel's saying, oh, yeah, you know, one acre plot, you know, $50,000. And, and they're already buying plots of land, American Jews are, and that's still a sovereign nation. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the map in Tel Aviv in a government building. That's the entire intent. They're going to turn Syria into a suburb of Israel. Yeah. And that's what all the ISIS is about. Oh, sure. They, well, and the, and the ISIS is also about, you know, it, it's also about ticking off a lot of other people. They're... You know, even though Jordan is kind of friends with Israel, there's a lot of backfighting going on there, too. And once they get done with uh, Assad, then they'll turn ISIS on Jordan because the Israelis would really like to have Jordan back under their thumb, like in biblical days. They would really love to have that back. They, they, they'd love to have the whole Middle East is what they'd really like. And I, well, and I can't believe, believe for a moment they're, they're going to succeed at any of this. But, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate game plan. Well, it's a very tumultuous area. I don't think anything lasts very long over, over there. No. But, uh, no, that's a, it's a wet dream that they've created. Not everyone who is a Jew agrees with it. There's even Jews in Israel going, oh, my God, they're going to kill us all, these people in the Israeli government. I have friends in Israel. I have one friend, she's in the IDF, and she goes, my God, Bill, we're all going to die over here. She goes, and Netanyahu and the rest of these crazies doing all this stuff. And she goes, then we've got Russia standing on our doorstep. How the hell are we going to fight them, too? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I gotta say, Bill, it's uh, I've never, I, I, the Cold War kind of ended when I was a kid. I'm younger than you are, so uh, I missed a lot of that. But I've never felt closer to like a World War Three than I do now. It seems like what it's a lot of tension here between the American government and the Russians. Uh, you'd, you'd like to think the government, the American government, could stop shooting its own citizens in these crazy uh, uh, staged events and focus on, you know, uh, Russia or something. But I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Well, the thing at the Pentagon, for anybody, you know, like my relatives who have always been in the military, been high up in the Pentagon, anybody who's been an officer in the military government did not like the way the Cold War ended. They wanted to take Russia out, the generals, the admirals, big shots at the CIA, and ultimate, they ultimately wanted to take the Soviet Union out with a first strike, and they never got a chance because cooler heads prevailed and, and prevented it. But that's what these guys want now. They, they want to go back and get their due. They, the Pentagon thinks they were cheated at the end of the Cold War, and they want to take Russia out. Well, I got news for them. <laughs> My cousin's married to a Russian woman whose dad's an admiral, and they'll die before they let the U.S. take Russia in one piece. They'll nuke all of Western Europe, and if they have to, they'll turn the U.S. into a cinder. They don't care. Remember, these guys have survived lots of wars going back hundreds of years. They have survived yeah. against odds that we can't even begin to imagine. Yeah, that's true. It's like uh, given that there may have been empires that could control the planet um, you know, back when the planet was a lot smaller, but now that there's so much more planet. They didn't even know theoretically about like America and North America and South America, like all that, you know, yeah. the new world. They didn't even know about that. They just sort of thought controlling like, uh, you know, the Middle East and, 
and Europe uh, was enough. So it's like, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone can actually ever control the planet nowadays because it's too big for them to control. Right. Yep. But I guess crazy people, uh, everybody wants to rule the world, right? Isn't that what they say in that song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and neither the Russians nor the Chinese will put up with this. I mean, we were we tried to sail an aircraft carrier into Hong Kong the other day, and the Chinese said, get back out there and open the seat because we're not going to put up with this. I mean, yeah, we, just, I saw that. we never I stop. Saw that. Yeah, we never yeah. stop. We just keep, we poke the bear, we poke the Chinese. And I'm like, do you people at the Pentagon realize that these people have been here longer than America has? And they have fought wars for hundreds of years against overwhelming enemies, and they have won every time. They've lost a lot of people, lost a lot of soldiers, but they're still around. We've only been here a little over 200 years. And yeah. we're we're just... We're, we're, we're just playing with a big, mean dog, and we keep thinking, oh, it won't bite back. Let me tell you something. If we get our CIA ISIS into Moscow, which is what they're doing now, and those guys are getting arrested and getting shot right and left because the Russian cops won't won't put up with this. I mean, you think our cops are corrupt? Try pulling some banana land crap like we do in, in third world countries in Moscow and see how fast our CIA agents start disappearing into the forest out there outside Moscow. They have yeah, no yeah. idea what they're they're messing with, you know. And Not, Putin will do it. Putin's, Putin's uh, I don't know if he's crazy, but I think he's the kind of guy that says, if you're going to try and take me, uh, guess what? I'm going to start filling body bags over there in America. Because he's got he, missile launchers up in the Arctic now. Right yeah, he seems Canada. like someone who's, yeah. If anything, he seems yeah. like someone who'll strike first. So oh, yeah. we got to be careful yeah. with that guy. Now, I don't know if yeah. I've ever brought this up to you before, but what about aliens? Have you thought about aliens at all? Because, I mean, could this possibly fit into your worldview on these conspiracies? I, I believe so. I have studied it. Uh, I used to work for a group in California when I lived out there. Um, you know, I have, I've had weird experiences uh, in my life I can't explain. I've had missing time. Um, I had a very strange experience that led me to believe that there is something beyond this earth, uh, definitely. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of that. Whether we can call them aliens, whether they're from another dimension, I don't know what they are. But I know about an incident that happened to me, and for those of you who have uh, listened to David uh, Politi's talk about these missing people in national parks, that happened to me when I was a kid. I wandered away from camp one night. I was up there with my aunt and uncle and my mother, and we're in the Rocky Mountain National Park, and I just felt this, like something pulling me away from the campfire. So I went up this hill, and I'm thinking, oh, well, it's got to be one of my cousins. They're screwing around with me. And I'm looking around, and I'm going, come on, guys, what are you doing? So I go over the hill, and all of a sudden... Like, wait a minute, like, 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 hold on, hold on. Like, pulling you how? Like, pulling you by your shirt, or pulling you just sort of, like, tempting you? Tempting me like a okay. something from the nether, something okay. spiritual or or spooky or paranormal. Okay. Something okay. I, just, I just want to make sure we got all the details right. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Go on. I'm something sorry. Go on. pulling at me. And when I got over the hill, I had this just enormous pressure on my chest. Of course, I have asthma, so my thinking is I'm having an asthma attack. And next thing you know, I'm out. I'm blacked out. Well, when I came to, and this is the scary part in my Mother, God rest her soul, she never wanted to talk about this whole time she was alive. My aunt and uncle talked about it, but she wouldn't. When I woke up, I was standing up looking down the hill back towards 
been gone for three hours. Wow. Yeah. They followed my tracks. My tracks went all the way down into the valley, up the next mountain, around some trees, and back around, and they said that that was about a three-hour walk. I don't remember walking for three hours. Wait a minute. They followed. So wait a minute. Okay, but they followed your tracks. So you did walk for three yeah, hours. I did walk, but I don't know how. And I, I've never had a blackout in my life except. Okay, for that. so you almost like now, entered a trance where you walked for three hours and yeah. then blacked out. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Now it was after that, um, and and this was after my dad died. So it was just my mother and my grandparents. It was after that that I began to have the strange feelings of a presence in my bedroom at night. And I remember oh, one time I was 16 years old, just got my driver's license. You know, we're all happy to get our driver's license. You know, we can go cruise with our friends. And one night I woke up and I couldn't feel anything. And I'm like, oh, no, what is this? You know, my thinking, I've never had asthma do that before. I was always worried about asthma. I had several serious attacks. I couldn't feel anything, and when I looked over, I was laying, I was not laying on my bed. I was above my bed by like three or four feet. So you floated? And I tried to call, huh? Floated? You floated up? Yeah, I was hovering, yeah. Weird, yeah. And I tried to yell out because I thought, what is going on here? And I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. And then suddenly it it was like I went to sleep, and when I woke up, I was on my bed. But now here's the weird thing. I was wet. My pajamas were wet. My hair was wet and everything. And I'm like, what did I do? Like black out and go take a bath? No, it was raining that night. And my bedroom window was open. And I'm thinking, well, it just, the rain came inside. But yeah. that was, that was weird. Cause I mean, I was wet from head to toe, but my uh, windowsill and the, and the bed and everything in that area were not wet. And you would think with the rain coming through the window, it would have gotten that wet too. No, just me and where I was laying was wet. Could have been sweat. Cold. Yeah, but still. Because I touched I mean, my pajamas and it was cold, yeah. Yeah, I know, but that's why I'm just saying, uh, you know, maybe if you're having some kind of supernatural experience, who the fuck knows how the body reacts, you know what I'm saying? Did you consider yeah. that? Were you shivering at all? You must have been shivering from being wet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was I was cold. And uh, the rest of the night I set up, I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. I, I had a blanket around me, and, and my mother was like, you got to go back to sleep, you got to go back to sleep, you got to go to school. And I said, I can't sleep. I couldn't. It just it shook yeah, me up so cold. bad there was no way yeah. I could sleep. Yikes. Interesting. So that was that the last time you had any experience like that, or does this keep going in your life? It's kept going. Every once in a while I'll have that experience where I absolutely – will not go outside at night. Uh, even if I need something from the store, I wait during the day because uh, I just can't, there's just sometimes I just feel like there's something out there and I won't go out at night. And, you know, my family says, oh, you're being paranoid, Bill. You do too much of this conspiracy stuff. And I'm like, hey, you guys were there. I was missing for three hours and don't remember missing. And I have things that are missing, uh, things that will, uh, you know, like I have my uh, tablet that I go out and take video with and my tablet will be missing for days, and I know right where I put it. And it's not like I live in this huge mansion. I live in an apartment, and I will look everywhere, and that tablet is nowhere to be found. I'll go out, look at my car. It's not my car. All of a sudden, next day, it shows up right where I know I left it, you know, two, three days before. That's weird. I have a theory about that, though. It has nothing to do with conspiracy, but I have a theory that, like, 
Because this has happened to me before, but with smaller items, you know. It's like a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like, you, know, you go to the store, you get a pack of cigarettes, you put it on the table, you know you put it on the table, you got in. Uh, it's not there. You look around, you look around, you look around for like 45 minutes or whatever, and then you, later you come back and it's on the table. I think like, I don't necessarily think it's paranormal per se. I think it, may be, it might be some kind of weird fucking mental block. Like your mind mm-hmm. knows you're looking for it. Yeah, like your mind yeah. knows you're looking for it, and uh, somehow your mind won't let you see it until like. And the more you fixate on it, it like strengthens the the block in your mind. That's a theory I have, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. But it kind of makes sense in a way because it's like I don't know about you, but you know you get all agitated because you're like, where I, I know I put it right here. I know I put it right here. Where you know I start searching everywhere, and it's like even more now you can't see it. So. That's the theory I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can't test that kind of thing. It has to happen. But now yeah. I do, yeah. in a sense, test it, because sometimes if I'm looking for something and I can't find it, I kind of, like, stop, don't think about it. Generally, you find it right away afterwards, but who knows? I haven't yeah. really uh, given it a good a good test yet, writing anything down. Um, yeah. Well, that's remarkable, dude. I'm glad I asked you about these. Uh, I'm glad I brought up aliens. So do you think you... I don't know. What, what have you? You probably thought about it a lot. What do you think? What do you think was pulling you those three miles? Uh, I I don't know what it is. Um, uh, it's that wasn't the last event I had, so I had to really stop and concentrate on it. But you know, I was never into UFOs or anything until that event. After that, it was just like every time my mom and I went to the bookstore, Bob got to get this book on UFOs. I don't really need that for. I got to have it. I got to have it. And I probably have every book you can think of. I have over 600 UFO books going back to the 70s. Oh, wow. Well, how do the UFOs a... tie into all these conspiracies then? Like, what, where do you think this all fits into what, the big puzzle? If, if, if these things exist, and they're, as some researchers say that they're like scientists, maybe they're manipulating these events. Maybe we're living in some big monster laboratory. Maybe we're nothing more than rats on a treadmill you know, yeah. being fed cheese by some supernatural or extraterrestrial force uh, because things seem too contrived and too organized to just be random human history. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like so, sometimes things happen. It's like there has to be something behind this that's beyond just uh, random chance. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, very, yeah. uh, it's very intriguing. How much do you think the government knows about all this stuff? I, you know, people say, well, they gotta have, the government's got to have all the answers. I'm not convinced of that. I think they know about the phenomenon. I think they study it themselves. They may have captured aliens. I worked with a guy one time, says his uncle was involved with it uh, during the Roswell thing, but it wasn't the Roswell crash he was at. He was at one in Mexico, and he says, my uncle was not a drunk. He didn't make up stories. He was an honest U.S. government guy. He came home to his family overnight, and he said he saw the bodies in Mexico. There was like 15 of them in Mexico, and the Mexican government was just totally freaked out and told the U.S. government, whatever this is, take it. Just get it out of here. They were, you know, cause they were real superstitious people, you know, down there in Mexico, and they're like, get this, whatever this is, get it out of here, you yeah. know, was their attitude. And I'll tell you, I've, I've talked to enough abductees. I've got one friend 
Uh, she worked at the Lockheed Martin facility up here in Colorado, and Lockheed Martin is deep into the, the UFO propulsion research. Oh, yeah. And she said all kinds of weird things happened at the facility up there. And she said she was convinced that they brought something into the facility that was not human because phones would ring that were not plugged in. Uh, she said you would see ghostly shapes in the hallways of the administration building when people weren't supposed to be in there when she was working the night shift. And she said lots of people asked her, do you feel that? It feels weird. What's here? And just a lot of people got the feeling there was something up there at that facility that wasn't human. So, I mean, these are all college degree people, you know, in engineering and business management. You think that they're not prone to flights of fancy, so they got some credibility here. Um, but I just, I've seen so many weird things. And then I had an incident happen to me, uh, taking my mother to work because I was, I worked at GM at the time I worked at a dealership and she worked at the GM warehouse and I was taking her to work. And then after I got done taking her to work, I was like, Oh, I got to go back home. I forgot something. So I'm coming back down the old highway and going to Brighton from Denver. And hardly anyone goes on that highway at that early in the morning. And all of a sudden the entire inside of my car lit up. And then all of a sudden, I was down the road like a couple of miles when I when I opened my eyes, and I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" And I'm like, you know, and I told my grandparents, my mother, and like, "Oh, you might have epilepsy. You're blacking out." And I'm like, "If I blacked out, I would have wrecked the car." I said, "How the world did I drive for three miles with my eyes closed?" I said, "That's not possible." And you know, for years, people tried to get me to do hypnosis, and I was I was just too scared uh, to do that. But, you know, I had the same experience in California. Um, I was living with this girl. We'd grown up together, and, and we decided to move in together. And, and weird experiences. We lived out there in Hidden Hills. And anybody knows anything about the Hidden Hills, all the homes are surrounded by trees. You're living in this mountainous area and everything. And we would see lights come down from the sky all the time at night. And she always told me when she was coming home from her mom's place of work, she said, Bill, this is weird. I just get the feeling like I'm being followed. And it's like, whoa, that's, you know, that's what I've had. Like you're being followed, but you turn around, there's no cars behind you, there's no nothing. You know, but yeah. you just feel like there's eyes on you and you're just, you're getting creeped out. Your hair's standing on the end and all you can think of is lock the doors and floor it and get home. Weird. That's yeah. very strange. Oh, yeah. Would you ever consider? I'm not a big fan of hypnosis anyway, but for some reason I'd like to hear, I'd like to see you undergo hypnosis because I bet you would produce some amazing stuff. I think that like uh, I'd be interested to know, you know, especially that thing about wandering in the. How old were you when that happened? Uh, that was 1974, and I was born in '66. I was like what eight years old? Yeah, I was eight years old when that happened. Wow. Well. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I can't imagine walking. I, I don't know though. Those stories also. That's very similar to those David Polita stories. That's the creepy part. You're right about that. Yeah. Oh, wait, like these yeah, kids traveling crazy distances that don't make any sense. Yeah, I had a, a friend of mine send me a link to his website, and I bought his books. I got all his books, and I'm reading these, and I'm going, "Whoa, this is spooky stuff." But you know. This is a, a story, a friend of mine and I did this. It was crazy. It was stupid. I don't recommend anybody do this, but we did it. Back awesome. in the 90s, they had a bunch of Bigfoot sightings here in Colorado up in the mountains. Oh, and Jesus. So like did you dress that. up as Bigfoot? 
Yeah, we, 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 we took our hunting <laughs> rifles and our snowshoes. It's in the middle of winter, and we're going through the mountains, and we're going east uh, past Evergreen. And, you know, we run across all these hunters and everything, and they're like, oh, yeah, man, last night we heard something that was really spooky and stuff. And you find these tracks, and they're too big to be deer or elk. And we're like, oh, my God, and we're getting freaked out. You know, we don't hear anything. We don't see anything. But you get this weird feeling like you're being watched. And finally we just gave up. We chickened out. We couldn't do it anymore. Even though we had hunting rifles, we couldn't handle it anymore. And I'm like, we've got to get back to the truck. I can't do this anymore. we got to get out of here. This is too weird. So we got back, and, and we were uh, talking to people in Evergreen, and they're like, oh, yeah, Bigfoot. They come through here all the time. Yeah, they come right down the main street in town. It's like, you're kidding. Like, oh, no, we see, we see them. You know, some people think they're just, it's like, oh, we got to go. And uh, I never tried that again, but that was that was weird. And the more I read his books on the way some people are found, the ones they do find, where they're, you know, they're just a couple of bones left and things like that, um, you know, that's just weird. And it makes you wonder you know, are these Bigfoot-type creatures? And I have a, a friend who's a Jewish rabbi, and he told me, he, he came up with a theory of what Bigfoot was, and I'm like, great, somebody explained it. He said, it's Esau's clan. And I go, Esau, and he goes, you read the Bible, you know. I said, oh, yeah, the, the people that God cursed and covered them with red hair. And he goes, ah, there you go. And I said, you really think a bunch of guys covered in red hair are wandering around the world, especially in sub-zero temperatures, killing hunters and little kids? And he says, what else makes sense? And I'm like, well, you've got the whole extraterrestrial hypotheses. You've got all kinds of things. But uh, that's what it's certainly, uh, yeah, you can throw it in the mix. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you can throw it in, yeah. Yeah, because especially if, uh, if that was from, like, biblical times, it could be the people could have evolved or devolved into all kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? Feral humans. Oh, yeah. So it's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate getting into all this paranormalia with you tonight, but I'm I'm really enjoying it. So, oh yeah. I, do you think well? Do you think the government will ever tell us about UFOs, or do you think it's like so far beyond even the people that are pulling the strings on all these CIA shootings and everything else? It's like it's so far up above that their their chain. I yeah, I think it's beyond them. I I think it's a I I think a couple of researchers out there have it right when they said that the government thinks that they can find a way to control this phenomenon or, or control who's behind it. But these things, whatever they are, they make our government look like a bunch of schoolboys and schoolgirls. These things are way beyond us, way beyond us. There's no way the government can control these things. And I think the government will never add to their existence because that takes the power of the government away. If we know there's creatures out there more powerful in our government, everybody's going to flip the middle finger to the government and say, We'll follow these guys, you know, or we'll get these guys to take you out, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd trust the aliens, though. We'll have to no, see. What no. do you think of, like, but the I, idea of, like, good and evil and demons and, and that kind of thing? Because I, 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 I don't remember if it was you or not, but I've heard sort of theories espoused that these these shootings and everything are. We talked about the symbology of them, but that they're also sort of like rituals and that kind of thing. I don't know if, I don't remember if this this came up with you and me in Columbine or not, but uh I mean it's a preval- it's a prevalent theory that uh you know that there's oh, yeah. a layer above all this like the occult thing we were talking about that's like these are rich mass rituals and shit. So I mean what to appease oh, yeah, what? I don't know. Demons, Satan. I yeah, don't know. What, that, what do you, you think know, of that idea? 
I, I think it's I think it's plausible. I, I think it, there is definitely evidence that either somebody wants us to believe they're ritual or they are uh, like a, like at Columbine, Clements Park, the entire bike path and the bike paths that go to the center of the park are all, that's set up as a pentagram. Yeah. Really. And they were doing they were doing ritual sacrifices there on the school property. Lots of kids have talked about that. That's no secret at Columbine. Uh that wouldn't surprise me uh that these elite uh they get you know, they use the kids to create these types of events. I mean kids are into Satanism, have been for a long time. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody shows up at these schools and whatever and says, you know, ooh, you know, you can get power, you know, let's do this. And, you know, uh, like I've told people about the handler at Columbine, you know, the handler that was handling these kids, the trench coat mafia and such like. Uh, That that was his thing with Satanism and everything. They'd had him to his, he'd had all these kids to his house, the trench coat mafia and everything. That's all they were doing. The girl who set up the memorial websites for the Columbine victims was a Satanist who worked for the NSA on the Lockheed property up there. What, during the Columbine thing? Yeah, yeah, the girl that set up the memorial websites was a self-avowed Satanist who worked at the NSA building called what they call the Pink Palace at the Lockheed Martin facility just south of the school. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, that was admitted. That's why the Colum- some of the Columbine parents were mad that she was doing the websites uh, for dead Christian kids, you yeah. Well, it makes you wonder, like I said, if, if it's going on, it's at some high level of, like, black magic that is even scarier to think about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the dates and the things and the, the way things coincide uh, makes you nervous. It makes me nervous in a sense, you know? Oh, yeah. I can handle, I can handle sort of, like, I can understand the motivations and agendas of humans in a sense, but once you get into like supernatural deities, uh that's way that's way out of my pay grade. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you do about that. No, because these these people are serious. Uh uh my ex's family had a big thing about that. They had a compound down in Argentina where they all went. I saw a photo of them one time. They're all dressed in these white white robes, and I'm like, okay, now that's not too creepy, I don't suppose, and I asked her about it, and she was a Scientologist, her mother was a Scientologist, and her whole family was, but her grandparents had their own offshoot of Scientology, and this is part of what sent me screaming back to Colorado is when she started trying to get me deep into that stuff, and you know, the weirdness going on there. And like I said, I worked enough in Hollywood to know that it doesn't matter what stripes they call themselves by, it's all creepy out there. It's all creepy. I mean, you just, you run from it pretty soon. It doesn't take you long if you have any moral compass at all to say, show me where the exit sign is, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly weird. I was going to ask you something now, but I forgot what it was. We were getting on this... uh he threw me off with the Scientology thing, because that's just a whole other uh, barrel of weirdness there. I don't, oh, yeah. well, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what to make of that. 
Do you trust anybody anymore, Bill? That's what I, I worry about. You know, do you, I, I try, well, I, I try oh, to stay I, I, out I'm, of the I'm, conspiracy I'm, realm in a way because it makes me too paranoid. I'm worried about you. That's all. Well, you know, I, I can maintain myself because I realize that not everyone's involved in the conspiracy. I know the mailman. He's not there to kill me. I've known him for years. Um, the average person you meet on the street, even if they act a little weirded out, could be because they just went through a divorce or they lost a parent or a child. So I don't automatically get paranoid when people act weird around me. I know that there's a lot of problems in America. I know a lot of people act weird just simply because they're so distraught that they just don't know how else to act. So, no, it doesn't drive me over into the field of paranoia. Uh, I've learned to recognize true suspicious people from people that are just having a bad day and talking to themselves or doing whatever. You know, I you know I know how to tell the difference. You know, I've learned that over the years. So no, it doesn't make me too paranoid. I, I certainly know how to uh, how to gauge it when I see a situation. Now you mentioned you were an actor. Were you in anything that anyone has seen or could see anywhere? Because you got a lot oh, of fans yeah. who listen to the show. Is there anything on YouTube yeah. we can see? Are you like you know? Were you on an episode of Suddenly Susan or anything? No, um, this stuff probably you wouldn't find on YouTube. You might. Uh, I was in The Adventures of Port Fairlane. That was a movie with... Um, um, Andrew Dice name? Clay. Yeah, Andrew Dice Clay, who the women hate because he's so sexist. I played a roadie. You can see me in one of the scenes there. I'm smoking a cigarette, standing against the wall. Just Do you have any lines? No, no, not oh. in that one. That My idiot mother-in-law put me in that one, you know, like, well, you got to work if you're going to live with my daughter. And I'm like, fine, what do I do? And she goes, well, you can be in an extra. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So I did okay, that. Okay, so you're a, roadie in, did... you're a roadie in Adventures of Ford Fairlane. All right. We yep. need listeners to find these segments. So what, all right, what else? What else? We, what were you in that you might have a speaking role in that? Uh, Beverly Hills 90210. I played a teacher one episode. I just had a couple of lines is all. Uh, that Do you know the episode? Third, uh, third season. I know it's third season. Let me remember the episode. Give us the plot if you need to. That's That would work, too. Basically, the plot there, that was when uh, it was, you know, just after, um, you know, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of their names now. Shannon Doherty and, and Jason Priestley play brother and sister. They right. were just getting used to the high school. They just, you know, they had been there a year and a half, and they were having problems. And the, there was one girl in the scene who she's not a main actress, but she was kind of tormenting them about it. And I, I spoke up and I said, "Hey, you guys, you got to do this after class." And that was my whole line. That was it. I, I didn't. There was nothing else because uh, then the class ended, and that's all I did. It was just one episode. Um, uh, I was and you think it was season in, three? Yeah, season three. All right, interesting. See if you can remember the episode some sometime, the title okay. or the uh, thing, because you can find that kind of stuff around. I would, I'd love to see it. Why did you yeah. get out of Hollywood, um, man? Oh, I well, I had to leave. I had to leave in, in 1991. The thing with the the ex was getting so bad with the whole Scientology thing. My mother says, you've got to go come home. She's going off the deep end, and that's how those people go when they get too deep into it. They flip out. And she was doing weird things. She would disappear for long periods of time. i call the cops. They couldn't find her, and then all of a sudden she would show up. And my mom says, get out now. You, you've got to get out of this. This is a Hollywood family. They're just, 
you know, they they spent a lot of time. They had their own film and video rental equipment company. I worked for my idiot mother-in-law for almost a year and never got paid. And it's like I should be privileged to be in this family, so that's your pay. And my mother yeah. said, she needs to pay you for delivering equipment to the studios and stuff. She says, you're being used. Get out of there. Pull, you know, pull the trip like all young guys do. Oh, I love her. I can't leave. My mother says, get out now before you get killed. So I get yeah. out. I come home, go back to college. I get a degree in graphic design. I'm doing graphic design. Walking through the mall, and this lady from John Robert Powers comes up and says, oh, I want you to come audition and stuff just out of nowhere. You know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back into that business. So I'm like, okay, I go out there. So I go out there, and they've got all these different parts and stuff like that. And uh, a movie that I was in was the movie Nomads. It was uh, it was a reboot of the movie Nomads with Pierce Brosnan. So it wasn't the Pierce Brosnan movie. It was a movie made in 1998 based off of the original Nomads. Now, you can find that just about anywhere, I believe, I don't think it's on like on Netflix, but it's on a lot of the cheapo uh, websites where you can get videos. And in that one, I play a guy who's kind of like a, a mystic, and I'm and I'm talking to these guys and, and and telling them all all about you know what you're chasing across the desert, and you've got to you've got to be more spiritually minded. You can't chase this dream, this this big quest you have in the physical realm, and all that. And I'm in that. That was a, a knockoff of that movie. Um, okay, I got three. I I'm was, looking it up now just to see. It's, I've got three different. Okay. What you, I've got 2005, 1986, and 2010. So. Okay, 96 is probably probably. No, 86. Either 86. 7, 96, something like that. Yeah. This is Nomad. Nomad with an S. Nomads with an S. Yeah. All right. Weird. I'm only seeing in 1986, 2005, and 2010. Was okay. it set in Kazakhstan? No, no. We set this one in the Mojave Desert of California. It was actually done here in De- Denver. We did it out in eastern Colorado in, in a field that was had a lot of sand that looked like desert, but it was done here in Denver. Was it like an indie? But it was a Hollywood company that did it. Yeah, it was a company Weird. out of Hollywood, a production company. Was there any celebrities in it that we didn't know? No, I think it was all local talent. They they hired okay. all local talent to do it. All right. Well, we'll see if we can find that one. But interesting. All right. Yeah. So you've had quite. So you don't. I. I. You. You have quite the chops, though. I feel like you would. You would do well in acting. I feel like you would do good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I. I might even get back into it again here, even though I'm 50 years old now. It's like, I. I still get calls from people and emails going, "Come on, Bill, you got to come back." And I'm like, "Well." Not too popular with some people in Hollywood, so I have to be kind of careful there. You know, um, you got to be kind of careful what you talk about out there or who you criticize, because you know they give you the boot and you won't even get a job waiting tables if they have their way with you. you yeah, know. it's a very uh, it's a very shady industry, that's for sure. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah, the, beyond the, the Nomad and the nine hundred two one zero and and the Ford Fairlane. Anything else on your reel that we could yeah. look for? Yeah, was big uh, there was a there was a movie I did called Cranes Ketchup. We did that in Nevada, and that was a subsidiary of Paramount Pictures that did that film. We did that out in Nevada. Uh, Cranes, Cranes Ketchup, 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 really, ketchup like the condiment Cranes or ketchup, ketchup like yeah. Ket- yeah, ketchup like in ketchup. Yeah. Huh. All right. And it was 
it was about a diner in the in the middle of the desert and a bunch of goofy guys and gals that ran this and and I I play I played the cook and you know it was kind of like one of those Animal House movies you know where everyone's raunchy and and everything and it was just it was just a raunchy movie and that one people should be able to find because they showed that at the Denver Film Festival and that was how do you spell crane how do you spell crane how do you spell crane uh, K R A N E K R A N E all right cranes ketchup I don't know I'm not finding it on here man Okay. They've erased. They've, well, you're, you you've know, been, you know, your history's all, being erased. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, unless you know, unless they registered it with the IMDb, um, it may not show up. You may just have to go on the deep web and dig for it. Because, from what I understand, you have to be registered with that international agency. It's IMDb, International Movie Database. And yeah, no, I know that. I just googled that, it. Yeah. I, I just googled Crane's ketchup. I didn't see it, but yeah. we'll we'll put the we'll put the BOA audio listeners on the case. So interesting, okay. interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, all all of this is really acting in a way. You know, it's what kind of reality are we living in in the first place? You know, it goes back to what oh, we've been yeah. talking about all night. It's kind of scary. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, we get in, if we get into multiple dimensions and being controlled by other entities and we have no control over ourselves, or, you know, or we're being forced to live and, and act in a certain way that we really don't want to, then, yeah, we're all in a big Hollywood movie. Yeah. Now, do you ever fear for your life with all this stuff? Like we talked earlier about how they probably wouldn't take you out, but, I mean, you've disappeared for a while. You've gone through some kind of interesting uh twists and turns what what happened with the website is columbine conspiracy you know we we talked like a long time ago bill i'm gonna have to give you some yeah. shit about this because you know yeah. you said you're gonna and get the oh, website and up I, and running. oh and i agree and i and i and i gladly take the criticism the moment i start getting stuff up all of a sudden the server can't be found or i go in there and i have to have the hosting company reload linux because they'll say Oh well, you know, something you must have done took down that whole server, and we have a, a bunch of customers that are mad. And I'm like, I don't do anything but upload HTML pages, and they all go through uh, the antivirus. I said, I'm not doing anything weird with your server. I'm not a hacker. I'm not doing anything. But as soon as I get the front page up and I start putting uh, documents up, because I got documents that nobody else has. They're not the documents that you can just go to Jefferson County and get them on Columbine. This is stuff I got through families and, and through people who, you know, were there or they knew somebody that was there, like the handwritten letters of some of these students, you know, talking about other suspects. And as soon as I put this stuff up, within a few days, the whole website's gone. And after a while, I just got to the point where people would email me and say, if I give you my address, can you just send me the whole thing on DVD? And I said, sure. I said, there's no way to, uh, I can get to it, get it on the web because it didn't last very long. And then they take it down. Well, yeah, you should set up a, you should set up some kind of system then to get that information out there to people because, yeah, you know, it sounds like you're being interfered with, but who knows? You know, you just can't tell yeah. with this shit. Um, there was no, a guy I was trying to interview. He also he did a Columbine movie, um, not Michael Moore. <laughs> the, uh, I forget his name now. He's a conspiracy researcher. Uh, you must know him. He did a quite a quite oh. a. Um, yeah. Are you talking you about the guy down the, from down in uh, Arizona? Most likely. What's his name? Uh, Justin Trouble? Maybe. Maybe. Him? Maybe. But I was trying to interview him, and he, he 
was in like Sri Lanka, so I don't know what happened with him. I, I guess I should probably find out his oh, name. Oh, they they set him up. He emailed me about two years ago, and they said that he made a death threat to a Columbine student, and they arrested him, uh, put him in jail for it. And uh, as soon as he got out of jail, he wasn't out of jail a week, and they were accusing him of making another threat. And he just took off. He left. He emailed me. He had a Yahoo email, and he had never had one before. He always had an official email. And he says, "I he says I can't even talk about this stuff anymore." He says, "Don't put me back in jail." He says, "I gotta go." And he says, "It's been great knowing you." And he says, "Thanks for sharing the research." But he says, "I gotta go." And I don't know what he found that I don't have that they would set him up. Now maybe I'm lucky. And they, they, I know they've tried to set me up, and maybe they were just unsuccessful, but they were successful with him because he was right out of high school when he began doing all this stuff. And his How did they try to set you up? Young, well, trying to lure me out to Nevada uh, during the Columbine research. I don't know if I ever told you about that, but I had a guy that called and said he was the FBI and he had information, but he couldn't come to Colorado because uh, uh, the government was throwing a fit that he was even talking about it, and he says, uh, I want you to come out to, to Nevada. And I said, well, pick a casino, and we'll sit down at a table and have dinner. And you can tell me, he said, oh, no, 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 I can't even be in Vegas. He says, no. And he gave me this location, uh, GPS north, north of Vegas, and I said, dude, I said, I'm not in, I can't do that. I, I don't trust people that well that I'm going to do that. Yeah. And he gave me his name, and my cousin, who's an FBI field agent, Los Angeles, checked the name, and he says, Bill, we don't have an agent in Vegas by that name. Don't you dare go. He says, don't go. He says, you will not be coming back if you do. I think I, I, think so, I remember you telling me this story, yeah. 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 He says, yeah, he says, just don't even bother with that. Uh, there was another guy who he's been following a number of people. There was a guy who did a little ditty on Columbine, some little documentary, and he had interviewed uh, the friend of Harrison Klebold's, um, well, the one kid who they all thought was involved, and, and he was from Colorado Springs. And uh, some guy on the internet was saying, "Oh, you're, you know, you got to come talk to me. You're going to be in a lot of danger." And he did. And <laughs> the guy turned out to be a pedophile and was trying to lure him uh, up to his home up in the mountains, and he just barely got away from that guy. And then there was a guy contacting me who was involved in Oklahoma City, and he had tried to kill Kerry Gagan. If you know who Kerry Gagan is, he's the one that came out and said Oklahoma was an inside job by the ATF and FBI. Well, this guy's name is Tim White. He's very famous on the Internet. Look him up. And he talks about being an FBI informant and that he told the, warned the FBI about Columbine beforehand. Well, this Tim White tried to kill Kerry Gagan in Oklahoma. He, tr he tried to kill him by running him over with his car. Well, he lives up in the mountains up here with a bunch of, and I don't want to, you know, get bigoted or anything, but he lives with a bunch of transvestites and, and gays and some lesbian woman who used informant for the DEA, and they all live up here in the mountains in some cabin. And uh, he was after me for a while, and, and he says, you got to shut up. He says, they'll, they'll send me to take you out. And I'm like, are you crazy? What I said, you know, and I turned him into the FBI as well as, you know, the town here where I live, Brighton Police. And uh, when they went to get him, uh, he was gone. But there were other people living in this cabin, and they told me, they said, you know, next time he, he calls, you know, call us on a separate phone, and we will try to track his phone and find out where he's at. But he's a weird Jesus, guy. Jesus, Bill. He's yeah, you're going to get me sued or killed. you got to be <laughs> 
my God. No, no, go on the please go on the internet when you get done and look up the name Tim White and look at the complaints by people against him. Uh, he's right, very I'll, 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 You're not going to get sued. You're not going to get sued because okay. his name is very well known in Colorado. He's had many criminal complaints against him, and they can never catch up to this guy. This guy's always gone by the time they get to it. But, yeah, he's very famous on the Internet. Look him up. He was even after that lady who used to be here in Colorado that did all the Patriot research, that DV kid, that her husband was in the Army down here in Colorado Springs, and, and she was on talk radio talking about natural herbal remedies and how to get out of speeding tickets and things like that. He was even after her for talking about that stuff for years. That's all over the Internet. Yeah, you're not going to get in any trouble there. No. All right. No, the all right. I'll know, take your word for it, Bill. Very, yeah, the cops know him I don't own a car well. wash, dude. They'll take that shit away from you. Do you still have the car wash? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. that like, having a car wash? That's kind of old school in a lot of ways. What's... What, yeah, what, what do you do on a daily of, basis? It's, it's more of an investment than than anything because I still do my motion graphics and everything. But you know, I needed some place to dump money, and this thing was the, the the old owner. He was so old, I don't even think he knew what town he was in. I mean, he let it go for a hundred thousand dollars, and the and the street nice. value, real estate value, was five hundred thousand dollars. Nice, and so he got I, in a deal. I snapped it up because. You know, I'm actually making a profit. It's one of the oldest ones in Colorado, but I installed all new equipment and everything. And I get more customers than anybody else because I only charge 50 cents a minute to use it, and all the other places are a dollar to three dollars a minute. And I, I pull down about eight hundred dollars a day, and you only have to do three fifty a day to break even. So I'm way above the other guys in town. Nice. What's the name? If you don't mind, do you want to say the name? You want to plug the uh, car yeah, wash? Yeah. I, what yeah, is it? What's the name my, of the car wash? It's called. It's called My Car Wash. Uh, I know it's not the fanciest or the most intriguing name, but, you know, when when I registered, when I registered the name, the state's like, you got to come up with a name. You just can't tell, tell us you have a car wash and get a license. you got to, you know, I'm like, okay, here it is. I'll just come up with a name. So I just came up with a name to have something to put on the business license. <laughs> Jesus. Where the hell is it? Where, in your town? Yeah, right there in town. I'm right behind the Dairy Queen on uh, the main thoroughfare, Bridge Street. What town is this, Brighton, you said? Brighton. Nice. All right. Well, folks in Brighton, stop by my car wash and, and uh, yeah. tell them that all of America sent you, and maybe you'll get a discount or a free wash. Yeah. If what one per- the yeah. first person to show up at Bill's car wash gets a free car wash. Can we agree on that? I'll front the bill yeah. for that car yeah, wash. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. All right. Nice. I like it. I like it. That's tough owning a business, but it sounds like you're doing pretty well. Oh, yeah. 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 These car washes, they're like advanced now, too. I guess you you said you changed all the stuff over, right? Yeah, mine's uh, completely (laughs) computer-controlled. Nice. Nice. Well, that's cool. So aside from that, what else you got working on? Anything uh, you plan on sort of... You should just have a blog, dude, where you write this stuff, even if you even if you just don't present the case against Columbine, like just a place to write yeah. your – I know you post a lot of your thoughts on Facebook and folks can find you on there, but you should uh, – I feel like you need an outlet, man, to uh, get some of this and, and react to world news. I would like to see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I should do it, yeah. Because right now I'm putting a puzzle together for a, a fictional book that uh, – I've written. I got almost half of it written, and so I've got I've got that in the works. Uh, I've got a screenplay in the works. I've already sent it out to a couple of studios, 
And then, like I said, I've had people, you know, saying, you know, well, you know, get back in the acting, get back in, into the field. And I've seriously considered it, and that's for sure. You could make a movie at the car wash. Do you ever think of that? That's a great yeah. setting for a movie. Well, you, remember you should that write movie? a movie. You remember that? Yeah, from the yeah. 70s. Remember that? Yeah, you should write a car, car wash car movie. Wash. You already own the fucking yeah. set, dude. You make a bunch of money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, it's it, it's fun during the summer. You ought to see all the hotties that come in in bathing suits. <laughs> At the car wash? Oh, yeah. Chicks will come in in their bathing suits and wash their car and then sit out front and dry their car all day. <laughs> Why? How's it work? Is it like you self-wash the car? It's not one of those drive-thrus? You just where you pull it in? And... Oh, I, I've, got, I've got an automatic, but uh, a lot of people prefer the self-serve car wash, especially when it's warm out. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, whoever gets that free car wash, they can decide self serve or if they want to do the drive through. So it's up to them. Yeah. Always yeah. drives me crazy is the is the vacuum though. When you're trying to vacuum the car, I feel like you, you never mm-hmm. have enough qu- you never have enough quarters. Yeah. It drives you crazy. Well, anyway, dude, we're pretty much at the end of the show here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I know I've been trying to finagle this for, like, the last couple of weeks, and uh, thank you for working within my crazy schedule. And thank you for a really enlightening conversation. I love talking to you, Bill. Uh, I find a lot of what you have to say fascinating, and uh, I I don't even remember how we crossed paths. I think I Googled. I think I wanted to do a Columbine anniversary, and you and I were the only people on the Columbine anniversary who did a a uh, conspiracy-related at least that I can recall, or at least certainly not as intense uh, conspiracy-related episode on the anniversary way back when. I think it was like the 10-year anniversary or maybe maybe 20. I don't even know now. It was quite a while ago. But uh, and, and, you know, you have a storied history with this program, and I really do enjoy talking to you. And I'm really thrilled we got into this uh, paranormal stuff with you because that was really fascinating stuff that I never thought to ask you about because we always concentrate on conspiracies. So you're such a fascinating individual and I really enjoyed the conversation buddy oh you're welcome thank you well once again thank you for coming on the show folks uh fine you can find uh William Zabel on Facebook just punch in William Zabel he'll probably accept your friend request but I can't make any guarantees you know there's a lot of crazies out there (laughs) I try not to accept too many people I accept some and then next thing you know I'm getting crazy shit in my timeline and I'm like who where did that come from you know and I'm like oh why did I and I'm like, unfriend, you're a lunatic. So, yeah. But you can friend him there. And if you're in the Brighton, Colorado area and you're a BOA Audio listener, uh, stop by my car wash and uh, tell him, tell him Tim Benall sent you, and you'll get a free car wash. So just the first person. So maybe the second. You gotta, if Bill's there, maybe he'll <laughs> – that's up to him. I don't make those decisions. But we already – we have him agreeing to the one free one. So – and uh, I consider you a friend, Bill. Be careful out there, man. I know you're very passionate, and like I said, uh, I'm afraid you'll be passionate with the wrong person someday, and someone not you will do something stupid. You know what I mean? So I worry yeah. about you, buddy. Oh, yeah. so be careful yeah. out there. You know? Oh yeah. But I think you're so outspoken, you've almost protected yourself against the against the nefarious forces that may wish you weren't so outspoken. So I, yeah. I think you've kind of covered yourself. Anyway, man, well, i got to talk to the listeners here and plug shit, so I will uh, say goodnight, and I will talk to you soon, my friend. Okay. Good night, Will. Good night, Bill. Good night. Bye. Called him Will there for a minute. I don't know what the hell happened there. 
too much too much uh too much control and stuff in the studio. So we got three minutes here. Uh I don't wanna go over because I'm afraid it's gonna mess up the <laughs> mess up the entire week by going into the next day. So we will uh close it out here with three minutes. Like I said, this is the beginning of a week of shows. Tomorrow night, Greg Bishop, ten PM Eastern time, talking about his new book, It Defies Language. Uh Wednesday night, Micah Hanks, also at ten Eastern and then Mike Cleland makes his long-awaited appearance on BOA Audio Thursday night, Cinco de Mayo, at 10 p.m. Eastern. So tune into those three episodes. You'll be hearing from me tomorrow, my friends. And since I've got a few minutes to kill, let's talk a little bit, you know. It's been a long time since I was on the show. It's a long time since I did the show. People were getting nervous. They were getting creeped out. I was getting emails from people. One guy was like, is BOA Audio dead or just resting? Motherfucker, BOA Audio will never be dead. So, you know, it was just resting. And uh, I can't tell you what's going to happen at the end of this week because uh, doing four shows in four days is pretty crazy. But I wanted to make up for lost time and then probably will uh, ease on into the season finale sometime uh, towards the end of May. But you're going to get four shows this week. Hopefully that can uh, fill a little bit of the craving that some folks have had over the last... uh, four months of shows, uh, of, of, of no shows, you know, and I'm uh, really sorry about that, but my life has changed. My priorities have changed. I've got a full-time job now, and it's taken me quite a while to sort of find the time in my schedule to really do quality programs, and you know how I am, folks. I'm not going to do half-assed shows. I'm going to do quality programs, and I want to be able to bring my A-game to each conversation. And if I can't bring the A-game, then I'm not going to do a show. So that's why it's taken so long. And as you can see from tonight's program, the A-game is still pretty sharp, and I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the conversations uh, coming up this week. So it's going to be fun. Uh, You can find out more about us at banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L-of-America.com. Also, Look us up on Facebook. Just punch in banalofamerica.com. Just banalofamerica. And uh, click the like button. You can like us. And uh, what else is going on? I'll be on tomorrow night. So I don't have anything else to say right now. I'll probably think of stuff tomorrow that I want to say. And I'll have the great opportunity to say it tomorrow night. So (laughs) it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I guess that's about it. Thank you to all the folks in the chat room. Zach Copley, Jim Lydica, Flap Doodle, and uh, Alice Bischoff who were in the chat room contributing to fun, to the fun all this time. Thanks, of course, to the hardcore BOA audio listeners. I would not simply disappear, my friends. BOA, uh, we just do what we do. And uh, thank you for your enduring support. I really do appreciate it. And until tomorrow, this is Tim at all saying thank you for listening and signing off.